You're just gonna stay angry at God for the rest of your Whether it's popular or not, we're seeking out what pleases the Lord. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the UPC Later podcast. I'm your host, Aurora, and so thankful to have you here for this next episode where I tell you a little bit about me, um, which is terrifying, but I figure we may as well. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about how we got to this point. Um, out of respect for my family members, I don't want to delve into too much of my personal childhood at home. I will tell you, I was born and raised in the UPC. And then when I was almost five, we moved and my father started his own church. And that that was up and running for about three and a half years, I think. Um, it You know, after that, church closed. My parents did divorce shortly after that, um, and we'll leave it at that. There is a there was a group of people at the church. You know, it was a small church. It was nothing, nothing big. Um, but there was a group of people who said, "Okay, well, we're still going to meet for like Bible studies and you know, in home stuff. You know, church services at home." So we went to that, um, and, and which was weird because. We went from these things, you know, being taught in our home matter to, eh, whatever. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, so we had to decide early on, like, no, it still matters to us. And I don't know if we if we went because it was familiar or because we didn't want to be at home. Um, but we still went and we still sought after the things of God. And And it was good. I mean, it, it was with people who we loved and treated us like family. And so it was, you know, it was like home to us. It was with family. But in the meantime, my mom was taking me out and saying, hey, let's go to the mall and get our nails painted. And I was so excited because I'd never had that with her. Um, those moments, you know, to do something girly with your mom. And so we would go get our nails painted. And then I would go to this in-home Bible study and they would sit down and make me take my nail polish off, which again, more confusion because I, I knew all of these people, my mom, the people from the home Bible studies loved me, but they were both telling me very different things about what mattered and what didn't matter. And, and in the, you know, what was important to God. So I was always confused. Um, and, and this would happen week after week because my mom, you know, she's the most glamorous human I know. She always wanted her nails done. So I would go with her and I would get them painted and we would spend time together. And then, boom, time to take them off on Wednesday. And it didn't matter if I was sad or confused. I wanted everyone to be happy. So I didn't care. I would put it aside. Um, and it wasn't for a while. I didn't tell my mom for a while that that's what was happening. And I remember it being an issue of, and she called them, you know, they, we all knew each other and say, why leave, leave it alone. It's, she's not your kid. Um, but it wasn't that easy. So, you know, you tack that onto the fact that we were homeschooled while I was in second and third grade, I was homeschooled. Um, so then I go back to school and all of a sudden I'm allowed to wear pants I'm allowed to wear shorts. I'm allowed to have bangs. Um, but I didn't know how to do that. 
because it was just not normal for me. So I, you know, I had a group of friends, you know, elementary school was okay. Um, but I was also very, you know, all the time confused about what I was supposed to actually be doing. And if things were making God mad or my mom mad or my dad mad or the people around me, you know, at this home Bible study or the little storefront they ended up opening, if they were mad. Um, so I was in a constant state of apologizing all the time as a child. And even 20 years later, your girl is still apologizing all the time. And I am working on it, um, but it was just such a habit because I was afraid people were mad and I didn't want anyone mad or disappointed or upset with me or anybody around me. I didn't want there to be yelling. So I would apologize all the time and take responsibility for things that had nothing to do with me as a child. I would make them my fault. Um, and, and that's, you know, obviously not super healthy, but it's what I did as a coping mechanism. Um, so yeah, you know, they, they didn't love the nail polish, but little did they know that my mom, even as a pastor's wife, would take me aside when my dad left and would leave the house, you know, to go do something and say, okay, let's trim your hair really quick. It's looking kind of scraggly. Your dad doesn't have to know. He's not even going to notice. Don't worry about it. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay, no problem. And I never told him because I was scared, but that, that started my first little, like, well, are we, do I not cut my hair because God cares or is it because he cares? Because if it's because God cares, then why are you cutting my hair? If it's that important and it holds that much weight, why would you put me in that position if you love me? But I trusted her. And so I said, okay, I'm not going to tell anybody. Um, so, you know, before I ever had an understanding of the love that Jesus may have for me, it was made abundantly clear that appearance matters. It matters to him and it matters to the people around me, but nobody holds the same opinion as to how it matters. Just know it matters. Um, so as an 11 and 12 year old girl, I'm very confused, very stressed out, trying to understand how, how all of this happens and how can this, how can this be? How can there be all these differing opinions from all of these people who love me. and the, um, But then they'll say, nope, they're wrong. They're wrong. Don't worry. Just trust me and listen to what I say. Okay. And so, you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And so no matter what anybody said, I just said, okay, you got it. I won't tell anybody. Or yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, even if it didn't sound good to me, even if I was very confused or if I was sad, I just said, okay, yeah, that's great. I love that idea. Perfect. Um, and that home Bible study ended up going away and the storefront closed, but a couple who was still there took myself and my sibling um, to a local UPC church. And that is where I stayed until I was in my early twenties. And when we got there, you know, the, the, everybody instantly took us in and took us under their wing and, and helped us get to services. And I mean, people came out of their way y'all to make sure that we were at church. And I look back at that now as the, as I'm 33 and it's like, man, I don't know if I could make time in my day to go do that for somebody. And these people did it without a second thought and, and they would buy us dinner and they would, you know, make sure we had things. And, and I look back and I'm like, man, they really took great care of us. And I still love those people very much, um, for doing things that, you know, our parent definitely was not, there was no 
hey, make sure you set your alarm. Hey, make sure you're out of the door on time. Make sure your clothes are ironed. No one cared in our home if we made it to church or not. So the fact that other people did, you know, I still love those people dearly. Um, and I hope they're doing well, especially if you're listening. But during this time, um, you know, I started to fall back in line with the standards as much as I could because everybody else was, you know, you don't want to be the odd one out at church and church is where I felt most accepted. So I just, I wanted to make sure that I looked the part. And so during the time where like you, people are getting braces and starting to go to camp and youth events, um, but I didn't look the part, uh, you know, originally now I really didn't fit in, but I didn't care. I was so set on just being used of God and being involved that it didn't matter to me that I didn't look the part. Um, it didn't, it didn't matter that we didn't have money. I just wanted to be there. I couldn't even see, you know, past anything else. Just, I just wanted to be there. Anytime the doors were open, I was there. And if I wasn't singing on the platform, I was on the front row every Wednesday, every Sunday, you know, there for revival, there for anything that was happening. I just wanted to be there because it felt like home. And it felt like there was a place of love and peace and no one was yelling at me. And I was, I was good. It didn't matter because I was only comparing it to my home. And I just didn't want to be home. So it did not matter what else happened at the church. It was not my house. So I was like, great, I'm there. Can't wait to go. Um, and like I said, along the way, people, you know, really generous, sweet families, they paid for us to go to camp. They paid for us to go to youth Congress. They, they gave me lunch money at a point when my parents stopped giving me lunch money at school. Um, they made sure I had food, things like that, that I'll never forget the good times. And there were really good times because if there wasn't, if there wasn't happiness at some point, it would not have made it so hard to leave, you know, you know, if it was, if it was all bad from start to finish, just what it would have been a super simple decision to leave, but it was not. Um, and so I stayed for a really long time, but I was also so involved as involved as I could possibly be. I was teaching, you know, Sunday school to the little ones, youth choir, adult choir, the drama team, which we even ended up performing at Youth Congress the year it was in Nashville. I, you know, I, I wanted to be used of Jesus so much. I really wanted to be involved and, and be a good person and, and be what he had called me to be, no matter what it was. I wanted to be that person so, so badly. And I finally started looking the part a little bit, a little bit, um, because I started getting Christmas money and hand-me-downs and, and, you know, the girls who I was close with were my size. So they'd share clothes with me and we'd share shoes. And it was, you know, it was, it felt like sisterhood and it was, it was nice. And it was, you know, it was fun. And I can recite to you messages. I mean, sermons, I could verbatim word for word. I can recite them to you. I still know every song by heart. Um, I know all the steps to salvation that they would teach and how you must be born again. You have to repent. You have to do these things in order to be saved. And I, more than anything, wanted to be saved. I wanted to see Jesus someday at all costs, no matter what it was. So if you told me what to do, I would do it with the best of my ability. Um, 
you know, and we're told that we're born into sin, shaped into iniquity, and our hearts can't be trusted. So I took the word of the leaders in the organization as Bible. I let them speak into me and I took whatever they said and I, I held it as truth and I defended it to like my core. I would defend these people, what they said, the organization, their teachings, because I just wanted everybody to be happy and I wanted to be saved. Um, something I did not defend and did not take seriously in life was school. Um, especially once I got to high school, because, you know, nothing, nothing in this life mattered except for the things of God. So my plan was to get out of high school as easily as possible. And I was going to go to Bible college and pursue music there with absolutely no plan, <laughs> no way of getting there. Didn't even have a license, had no clue what I was doing, but I just thought if I, if I just had faith in God, he'll get me there. Um, but along the way, I had teachers who were so worried and they, you know, would ask me, well, what's your backup plan? And maybe we should work on the fact that you make excuses a lot and you're missing, you know, school assignments and you're not putting forth a lot of effort. Like you're still going to have to go, even if it's Bible school, you're still going to have to put forth effort and you're not going to be able to make excuses. You're going to have to turn things in on time. And I was like, no, I will do that when I'm there because I'll care about it. I don't care about public school. This is nonsense. Um, I wish it was not nonsense. I really wish I had taken it seriously, but you know, it is what it is. Uh, but teachers and my very sweet best friend at school at the time tried to understand me, but I didn't let them into my beliefs and, and how stressed out and anxious I was to, to really hold on to that. So no one knew. They didn't know that, no, I can't, I can't actually go to this chorus concert because I might miss a Wednesday. And they're preaching that if you're missing some, if you're missing church for another activity, you don't have your priorities straight. And I want my priorities straight so desperately. So I'm going to miss a chorus concert. That was half of my grade because I have to be a Bible study. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want anybody mad at me. And I don't want people thinking that I don't care or take it seriously. And, and I can't. You know, I, you know, this, my poor best friend at the time, Hey, let's go try on, you know, I'm going to the mall to get jeans. Do you want to come with me? I'm like, sure, but I'm not trying them on with you. And I can't, you know, listen to this music in the car with you. And I can't feel like a normal teenage girl in the car with you because someone might find out. Someone might know, and I might get into trouble and I might make God upset and my leadership upset. And so it was a constant stream of anxiety of making sure that I was doing everything I could correctly at all times because someone might see. Um, and when I get nervous, I shake, like my hands shake horribly. Um, there was a lot of yelling growing up in my home. And so <laughs> I found out through therapy, that's actually my body's response to being anxious and scared. And so my hands used to be in a constant state of shaking. Um, all the time. And, you know, I'd make jokes about it, but it's also like not, not normal. Um, and over time, you know, it got better, but, but for a while it was really bad. And I didn't know that that's what was happening. I th everything that was happening to me, I thought it was totally normal. Everybody shakes. Everybody feels internally stressed out and anxious and scared all the time. Right? Like everybody thinks they're going to make somebody mad and that it's going to be terrible consequences. Right? No? Okay. Got it. So once I figured that out, um, I felt even more 
not able to fit in because it felt like I was the only one who, who had this anxiety, who had this constant fear of rejection, who had this constant fear of not fitting in, um, and who had this constant fear of failing. Like, no matter what I was doing, it wasn't enough, and I wanted to do everything I could so I could see Jesus. And so I did not end up at Bible college because, again, no plan, <laughs> no, no money, no nothing. And so I didn't end up going. So I have no, you know, education outside of high school. And there was something I've read the other day, and I was like, what, what part of your life do you feel like being in the evangelical realm took from you? And I said, my education, because I just, all of the potential wasted because I could not take it seriously because I kept telling myself the things of this world don't matter. A secular education doesn't matter. Jesus matters. Bible college matters. Learning those things matter. And then when I couldn't get there, what am I doing? And that's a hard question for an 18-year-old kid who has no, you know, parental support saying, hey, let's go this way. Hey, let's try this. It was only the church speaking into my life, helping me along the way, helping me open my first bank account, helping me go get a driver's license finally. Um, that was the church who helped me, not a parent. And I think that's why I felt so connected to these people and like, unfortunately, maybe like I owed them something because they had helped me so much. And they reminded me of that eventually. Um, these things that I felt like were done out of love and because they cared and because they kept telling me, we love you like you're one of our own. And I heard that from multiple leaders. Um, and I didn't fully understand a healthy dynamic between a parent and a child. So I didn't know better. I just assumed, okay, th then how they're treating me is totally fine. And, and what they're saying to me is okay. Because that's what you do when you love someone. And since I was a kid, I have been told by multiple people, I love you so much. I'm doing everything for you. And this is for your own good. But with very different um, agendas along the way. And none of which I questioned because I was scared and because I was anxious and because I was afraid. And so there was a day where I had to have been 20. And, and a leader who had brought me into her office and she, you know, was going in pretty hard on all the things about how I was not living right, was not pleasing to God and how disappointed she was in me. And that look at me, look at how I'm shaking. It's because I know she's right. But that's not why I was shaking. I was shaking because I could not talk. I couldn't get the words out to defend myself. I was panicking due to the conflict and, and I'm being cornered. That's why I was shaking. Not because I knew somebody was right and I was sad because I was wrong. It's because that's my body's natural reaction to conflict. So I got in my car after and I sat there and sobbed and thought to myself, am I being taken advantage of? Am I unable to fully speak up for myself and to ask questions and to protect myself? Yep. The harder question was, do they know that that's happening? Are they doing it on purpose? Surely these people and these leaders who love me, there's no way, there's no way they would do it on purpose. And then time after time after time after time, they've reminded me, oh yeah, we know. 
Oh yeah, taking full advantage of you. Because you're not going to say anything. And, and it was that way for a couple of more years. And even prior to that, things were happening where no matter what I did, no matter how hard I tried, and your girl tried real hard. Um, probably not an overachiever at school, but other things, I'm an overachiever. Um, so I tried and I, I put in a lot of effort. I read my Bible. I prayed. I fasted. Y'all, I remember speaking of fasting. I had a leader tell um, the girls, it was a female leader, say, anytime I'm feeling bad about my appearance, I'll take, a, I'll take the day and fast and get into God's word. Like, you mean you'll take the day and starve yourself if you're feeling bad about yourself? And then you'll come back the next day probably a little less bloated? Are, is that what you're telling teenage girls? And it's what we were told. That if you're feeling bad about it, <laughs> the way you look, take the day or two and fast. Which we did, which I did. And and I've got like health issues and like low blood sugar and things like that. Like I can't fast. I can't miss meals. Um, but I did it because they told me it would make me feel better about myself. Because I was focusing too much on my body image. I needed to focus on God. And by not eating, <laughs> that would help. And so there I was not eating, trying to feel better about myself, hungry, mad, tired, um, and still never feeling better about myself. And the, the standards part was initially the hardest part for me. Like doctrine wise, when they told me that you had to do all these things to be saved, I believed it. Um, but the standards were so hard for me because I didn't have this long, luxurious, flowing hair like they did. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the women had super long hair, beautiful hair, hair that they could, you know, do things with. But you can't cut it, you can't trim it, you can't color it. You can perm it. You can buy, like, the clip-in ponytail curly things to clip in your hair to make it look fuller. Like, I knew girls who would take nail trimmers, nail cutters, nail clippers, whatever and and trim their ends that way and say well i'm not cutting it or they would pick at it pick their dead ends off well i'm not cutting it so it's not the same and it was just so many loopholes and and starting from the age of six when my mom would cut my hair in secret and tell me not to tell anybody i had been so confused and so unsure of what god actually wanted but when they're telling me that this is what he wants. You can't wear pants. You can't wear shorts. You can't, your skirts have to be below the knee or longer. You know, this is modesty. This is holiness. And without holiness, no man should, you know, we'll see God. And y'all, I wanted to see Jesus. So there's this internal struggle going on as a teenage girl of I'm so uncomfortable with my body, with myself. But also, I don't want to go to hell. <laughs> it's, it's like weird to say out loud. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved and I want to also be loved. And I also want to feel good about myself. And I'm being told those things cannot happen at the same time. It didn't matter. Happiness did not matter. Holiness mattered. So it, 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 there I was <laughs> trying, trying really hard for a long time um, to, to accomplish any of those things, to at least be holy, to at least, you know, hold up the standards and be modest. And I, but it didn't matter how modest you were. 
I remember a woman taking me aside and saying, look at that girl. And this was like an event that was being held at the church. And one of the women said, you see how her skirt is tucked under her butt because it's so tight. That's not modest. That's not pleasing to God. Don't ever let me see you in a skirt that tight. And I was like, okay, add it to the, to the, you know, list of do's and do nots. Now, you know, that never even crossed my mind. And so it didn't matter, you know, everybody was, somebody was going to have something to say. And I found out later on that leadership was even asking somebody, will you please say something to Aurora about her shoes? We don't like her heels. <laughs> we don't like the design on her heels. They're causing too much attention. Okay. Um, so along the way, you know, if you were in the organization for any amount of time, you know, the standards were for everybody in air quotes, um, but not for everybody. So, so it didn't matter that the girls, you know, on the platform leading praise and worship were trying on pants at Hollister <laughs> and trimming their hair in secret and doing all these things. If you got caught, you'd have to answer for it. And I got caught a couple of times with, hey, somebody, somebody sent pastor a picture of you in jeans. What are you doing wearing those? as a 22 year old. Um, that's what people cared about. <laughs> let's, let's go on Aurora's social media and figure out if we can find a picture of her who may be in pants, um, modest pants by the way, but nonetheless, you know, the standards were hard for me because I wanted, you know, that was the other thing. It was, if you want a, a husband who's going to love you and take you seriously, you better be modest. You better be holy. You better be getting the attention from the right kind of man. Because if you're dressed a certain way, you're going to get attention from somebody who you don't want attention from and who's not going to take you seriously. And so that, you know, add, add more pressure to that, that it depended on how you looked, the type of man who you were going to potentially marry. Um, so it was a lot. It was a lot of pressure. And along the way, you know, some things were said to me that that I, I did post some of them. Um, I have a list and I'm trying, I'm trying not to forget anything in this, but along the way, you know, the, the, this one I'll call spiritual abuse. I don't know what, I, what else to call it. If you hear, you know, after this, if you want to say, maybe it was actually this, maybe it wasn't spiritual abuse. I'm open. Let me know. But I had had, I'd needed surgery on my mouth. Um, and it was going to cost a pretty penny and I did not have money. I didn't have insurance through my job. Um, and so before I would be allowed to be receive prayer for potential healing, the leadership decided that there was a line of people who I had offended in their eyes, who I had to apologize to one by one. They called them into the meeting one by one that I had to apologize, um, up to their standards. Like I couldn't just say, I'm, I'm really sorry. It was, I needed to say what I was sorry for. And majority of it, I didn't know. I had no idea what was going on. Um, one woman I had already apologized to. And when I had apologized to her the first time, she looked at me and said, well, it took you long enough. And so in this meeting, I had to apologize to her again for something that I, I still didn't feel like I had fully done wrong. But again, you're, if one thing a girl's going to do, it's apologize. And so they would not pray for me told me that I was not living correctly because I was in aught with my brother and sister in the Lord. 
So I had to apologize before they would pray for me. Um, here's the kicker. Healing never came. A very sweet person in my life paid for the surgery and I paid them back little by little. And that's how that happened. Not because somebody laid hands on me to pray for me, but because God provided a way for someone to pay a miracle and I paid them back. Perfect. Great. So, so the prayer never really, you know, <laughs> healing was never going to come that way as, as they wanted it to. Um, another leader told me my body would be nicer if I just, you know, you should run every so often. Your body would be nicer. And I was probably 105 pounds at this point. Again, <laughs> starving myself sometimes if I felt like I was having a bad body image day because I was told fasting and reading your Bible will, will take that away. So starve yourself. Also go run more. 105 pounds. Noted. Got it. Okay, great. Um, I had a leader take a group of us on the platform. This was after a service. And there, so there's a lot of people around and one by one say, you did this, you did this, you did this. And looked at me and said, you lied to me about this. I said, no, no, I didn't. I said, I said this to you. Well, that's hurtful to me. You're off the platform. Okay. And again, Anytime I tried to stick up for myself, it didn't matter. And a lot of the time, the words never even came out correctly. It was all just me fumbling the words, trying to get people to understand and trying to explain myself and defend myself. And it, <laughs> it didn't go well. Um, I had a leader tell me and the youth group actually that their childhood was worse than anything we could have ever gone through. So whatever we're dealing with can't be that bad because they know how they've been through the worst. Nothing you're going through is as hard as what I've been through. And at that point, I was dealing with a family member who um, was in and out of the hospital attempting to take their life. There was not a lot of food in the house. Like, there were things happening, I, you know, in life. But it was like, okay, you know what? It can't be that bad. It can't be that bad. Somebody else had it worse. What am I, what, what am I complaining about? Let, let me put on a brave face. Let me just keep praising God anyhow, no matter, no matter what. <laughs> Because somebody's had it worse, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep showing up and not asking questions and not, you know, saying anything. Um, the same leader at camp one year looked at me after I had, some, something had upset me and I was like, oh, so frustrated. And said, you're so dramatic. And this is why nobody in the youth group likes you because everybody knows how dramatic you are. I was like, okay, all right, well. <laughs> Sorry, I showed emotion, bottled that up. Um, and those are just things that I can remember off the top of my head that really, really affected me. And like I said, doctrine had not even, hadn't even come into play yet. It was simply the standards and how I was being treated and what was being said to me. And the fact that I felt like I was absolutely drowning because my safe place had no longer felt safe. And, and the people who I felt loved me, I didn't, it didn't feel like that's what love was. And if it, if that, if that's what love was, I didn't want any part. You can cut me out. I'm done. And now that I, you know, I posted not long ago that now that I'm a mom to the best girl there is in the whole world, I could never imagine telling her, Hey, just don't eat. Hey. Nobody loves you. Nobody likes you. You're so dramatic. That's why no one likes you. I could never imagine saying, 
I'm actually not going to ask God to help you. I'm not going to pray for you because I think you did something wrong. So apologize to all these people. No, I'd always step in. I'm always going to defend her. I'm always going to love her without a question. She doesn't have to ask. She doesn't have to ask for me to defend her. But at that, at the point I was at, you know, all those years ago, I thought it was normal. I thought it was a safe place. And then it quickly became a place where I couldn't breathe. And I started having panic attacks at church and feeling just so incredibly sick. And a minister said, it's because you're, you're battling, a, you're, no, you're fighting against hell to be here. You just have to keep showing up. That's the answer in all of this. You just have to keep showing up. Tell the devil you're not, you're not going to take it. You're not going to, you know, accept his fight that you're going to win and you're going to do better and you're going to show up even more and you're going to give even more and you're going to give more of your time and your talent and your money. And that's what you're going to do. Okay. I think I should see a doctor. I think I should probably see a therapist, but okay. So I dug in even deeper um, until I couldn't, until I absolutely could not anymore. So I think I'm going to leave... I think I'm going to leave it there. Um, we've, I've talked for a little bit of time now. So we'll, we'll, um, we'll get into more stuff in a couple of weeks. Um, that's the first part. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making me feel like I can share my story with you all in a safe space. Um, reach out if you have any questions and we'll get into part two in a few weeks. Thanks guys. Mm -hmm.